Tune in to The Manifesto, hosted by Emily Wheaton, Logan Cook, and Logan Bishop. The Political Science Society's new radio cast. Catch us on local 107.3 FM and wherever you find podcasts. Hello and welcome to The Manifesto. My name is Logan and today my guest is David Kuhn, leader of the Green Party and MLA for Franklin South. Hi, David. Hi, Logan. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great, thanks. So... A lot is happening in New Brunswick over the past, like since COVID started. I, I want to say that again. I want to start talking about the rent cap that the government introduced early this year. The housing minister has refused to comment on if they will extend the, the rental cap or not. The province says it doesn't work, while tenant agencies or advocates say it does work. What do you think about the need for a rent cap in New Brunswick? Well, it's, it's essential, and, and uh, my party, the Greens, we've presented two different bills that included a rent cap in them. The last one was pretty much focused singularly on creating a rent cap. This is part of the problem with the way our uh, democracy, democracy is working. Our rent cap bill was a perfectly good bill. Uh, it should have garnered enough votes to pass, but because all of the members always vote uh, the way the Premier wants them to vote on the government side, that's not a possibility. However, um, the the rent cap um, uh, the rent cap sort of effectiveness that the government is talking about is is mixing apples and oranges. The government keeps saying it has no uh, it has no um, positive impact on creating more affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Well, not new affordable housing, but it keeps people's existing apartments affordable. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and that's the distinct distinction which they they uh, don't like to acknowledge. Uh, so, the rent cap that was brought in was brought in for one year. Can you imagine in in uh, in legislation for one year only? Uh, they, you know, it wasn't even a, 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 a law that said uh, we're instituting a rent cap and we will review it after a year to decide whether we should continue it or not. It was this will be brought in for one year and will expire um, and uh, and that's and if they're going to extend it they've got to bring in new legislation actually go through the whole legislative process again bring in another bill that goes through first reading second reading committee stage third reading rural proclamation to extend the rent cap uh, so they set it up in a really awkward way mm-hmm. I, I, I do feel like a rent cap for one year kind of deferred the kind of defeats the purpose of a rent cap because landlords will still increase rent but only a year after they would have that doesn't make any sense and we're seeing that now with uh, tenants receiving notice from their landlords of significant rent increases all over the place uh, that would take effect as, uh, when the rent cap comes off at the end of uh, at the end of this year so I I want to talk about the premier uh, selecting Chris Austin to the Committee Reviewing the Official Language Acts. Mr. Austin is known as a critic of bilingualism. The Francophone community is outraged at the decision to put a critic of of bilingualism on the Committee Reviewing Bilingualism in New Brunswick. What do you think about the Premier's decision to put Chris Austin on the the committee? Well, it's ludicrous. The Francophone community is is uh, right on in the sense in the sense that the whole purpose of the review of the official languages act is to look at ways uh, uh, as time goes on uh, as uh, of how to improve it how to improve the official languages act so it it increasingly does a more and more effective job at achieving its goals and objectives um, and so you, the idea you would put someone on a committee that's designed to consider recommendations to strengthen the Official Languages Act, who wants to see it weakened, mm-hmm. makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, I, I've, I've never understood the decision to put a critic of bilingualism on the committee, but what do I know? Um, I wanted, uh, Next, the Conservative government, the, the Higgs government, has introduced legislation that will allow Medicare to pay for some surgeries outside of hospitals. This has sparked fear in New Brunswick of incoming privatization of our healthcare system. What do you think about the decision to privatize some aspects of our healthcare? Well, it's a, it's, it's a big problem because uh, what this will do, this, so the bill is still before the Legislative Assembly, it hasn't become law yet, uh, that 
door to corporate ownership of uh, uh, surgical centers, mm-hmm. the corporate-owned surgical centers. And there are examples of that in other parts of Canada, including Quebec, um, and, and we need to look at them uh, and, and see that the problems that have developed around those corporate uh, surgical centers. Other provinces do have surgical centers outside of hospitals that are public, uh-huh. and uh, you know the comparison is, is striking. So in the private uh, corporate-owned surgical centers, uh, you have um, uh, materials and accessories like eye drops and things uh, uh, being sold at ex- very high prices. You have upselling uh, to sell uh, additional procedures which are not covered by Medicare um, to, uh, to, um, to the clients. And uh, again, uh, you, you uh, end up having people spending more money on things. And then you have also the experience of um, the staff uh, not necessarily based on what's happened in other parts of Canada, uh, uh, working to the, the, um, the uh, standard that they should. So instead of having a nurse, they might have a licensed practical nurse. Uh, so these are the things that have been seen where, where uh, these uh, corporate surgery centers have established in other parts of, of uh, New Brunswick, or of Canada, I'm sorry. So um, it, it sh- the, 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 uh, there's no, there, are, there are advantages to having um, community-based surgical centers, mm-hmm. uh, but they need to be publicly owned. I I I want to talk more about the healthcare system. We we I think we can both agree that it is failing the people of New Brunswick. There are long wait times. There are tens of thousands of people without a primary caregiver in the province, and people are dying in the waiting rooms of hospitals. What needs to be done to the healthcare system to fix it and to recruit more doctors and nurses to fix the shortage of healthcare professionals? The most immediate need right now is to establish urgent urgent care centers to provide a place for people who need health care, mm-hmm. uh, and and their only real recourse right now is to go to the ERs. So the urgent care centers need to be established under Horizon and Vitality, so people have a place to go who don't have a family doctor, nurse practitioner, or can't get to them within a reasonable period of time uh, to get their health care services, rather than having to go to the ER. The ER is, uh, uh, of course, its expertise and the, the doctors and nurses there, their expertise is in emergency, medic- uh, in emergency me- medicine, trauma mm-hmm. care, you know, ma- heart attacks, dealing with those kinds of things, um, and, uh, and not family medicine. But because of the healthcare crisis uh, we have, so many people are having to go to the ERs uh, to access essentially family medicine rather than with an actual emergency because there's no other option. So we need these urgent care centers uh, up and running, ASAP. The money is there in the $700 million plus dollar surplus uh, to divert people from having to go to the ERs when they don't have a family doctor or nurse practitioner or can't get to their doctor in a reasonable period of time. We need it and we need them now. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. The healthcare system is a disaster in New Brunswick. You... So that would make a, 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 a huge difference in a short period of time. Then there are a lot of other uh, reforms that need to be made. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, we've had a numbers of, numbers of doctors uh, who, have, who have proposed directly to the government kinds of uh, um, reforms that would make a big difference. Mm-hmm. They're comprehensive. Uh, they need to be listened to and uh, and implemented. Um, that hasn't been the case so far. Uh, the same thing for the nurses' uh, union. They've they've made strong recommendations. Of what should be done to to uh, help uh, restructure the healthcare system and uh, haven't been listened to. So so this that one of the things that's been lacking is um, uh, the any sense of urgency that. Uh, major reforms and, and restructuring are required, and, uh, and that's been a problem with successive governments. Uh, obviously, the crisis we are in right now didn't just occur uh-huh. over the last two years, um, so it's been building for a long time. But no government has had the um, foresight and, and courage and, and political will 
to tackle the really um, significant things that need to be tackled. Um, and, and a piece of this is the need to put in place a, a robust system of preventative health care to reduce the demand for health care services in the first place. You you mentioned the $700 million plus surplus that the province has announced that we will have. But posting such a big surplus while the province has such dire needs that, be, that, that need to be addressed seems like a waste of the money. What do you think needs to be done with that surplus in your, in your opinion on the problem having such a big surplus when there's so much that needs to be done in New Brunswick? Well, it, it, it's irresponsible in the budgeting process that occurred last year that they didn't project uh, their revenue stream uh, very accurately. <laughs> Basically, this tells us they, they were off by that 700 plus million dollars in projecting their revenue in their budget. Uh, they must have had an idea that that's what was going to happen, mm-hmm. and they did decided not to budget for it. So now we got the surplus. It needs to be spent uh, on the critical areas uh, of care that need um, that need attention uh, in terms of health care. I already spoke about about the um, need to establish urgent urgent care centers. Uh, we need to ensure that uh, uh, nurses are being paid for uh, the extra shifts for the. Um, the extra uh, work they're doing to take uh, essentially work um, do the job of two or three other nurses at the same time they need to pay for the expertise that they have if they if they've got expertise uh, uh, above and, and beyond the uh, the regular the regular degrees then they need to be paid for it. they aren't all of these kinds of things will help retain nurses uh, and create a better working environment for them um, in, in addition to physical health care we need to see money go into the mental health care, mental health and care and addictions mm-hmm. uh, side of things, um, <clears throat> both of those are, are really in need of uh, of support um, in terms of um, uh, access to uh, psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, psychotherapy, uh, and uh, and for addictions, residential uh, uh, residential uh, addiction um, um, uh, therapy. You talked about the need for better health care. That was one of my questions. Mental health is a serious issue and a crisis in New Brunswick right now. I know you have you have done work with uh, Patty Borthwick to on a law that she calls Hillary's Law, which will make it so that people who die by suicide in hospitals will have an autopsy done done on them by the coroner after they have died. Can you talk about your work on mental health and your work with Patty? Well, with Patty, so um, we talked about the uh, idea of a public mem- a private members bill uh, to, to bring about an automatic uh, coroner's inquest in the event of a suicide in a hospital. Uh, it, I strongly support that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, however, the logistics of it for the, uh, the Greens as a third party is we only get uh, one basically one opportunity a session to bring forward something like a private member's bill. So mm-hmm. so I spoke with um, uh, a member on the government side who was willing to bring uh, this bill forward as a private member. Uh, and as a government private member, uh, they are opportunity to, to bring it, they can bring it forward at any time, basically. So um, uh, as, that's, as far as I know, still in the works. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, with respect to Patty's uh, daughter, the uh, uh, coroner did announce that, that he was undertaking an inquest uh, of her daughter's uh, suicide. So that's a good thing, mm-hmm. uh, but that doesn't solve the systemic uh, weakness, which is uh, it should be automatic in the event of anybody's suicide in a hospital. Uh, I, I 100% agree with you that the fact that Really, the fact that someone can commit suicide while on suicide watch in a hospital is a failure of the healthcare system. It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, yeah, absolutely. What else is there? Uh, New Brunswick is in a housing crisis. Like the rents are, the price of rents are up, the price of houses are up, and the availability of rental units, especially affordable rental units, is is near impossible to find a place to rent. What needs to be done? What needs to be done by the government and by the federal government to fix the housing crisis that New Brunswick is facing? Well, I think the lessons we learned uh, back in the 1970s and, and early 1980s when the last 
affordable family um, housing crisis occurred uh, are, are, should be implemented. Um, as a result of, of that crisis back then, the Brunswick Housing Corporation was created mm-hmm. uh, to work with CMHC federally to uh, help support the construction of a lot of non-market housing uh, apartments, uh, uh, rental units that are owned by uh, nonprofits, owned by community organizations, uh, owned by service clubs, uh, or owned by cooperatives. And, uh, and they were very successful during that period in our history. The New Brunswick Housing Corporation still exists legally. Uh, the legislation that governs it, it's still on, a law on the books, uh, but it essentially was dissembled, dis- dismembered, uh, or I, let's say deflated, deflated by um, uh, Frank McKenna when he was premier. What we need to do is pump air back into it, mm-hmm. um, hire staff back to it, and uh, and uh, get it up and running so that it can be supporting uh, construction of the kind of at, a, at the kind of rate we need of, of non-market housing. That's housing that is, as I said, non-profit uh, co-op. Uh, owned by um, uh, organizations like service clubs, churches, uh, uh, nonprofit housing organizations, and so on. So that's what needs to happen. No new laws need to be written. Uh, the, the New Brunswick Housing Act is already there. It's what sol- helped solve the crisis in, in the 70s and 80s. Um, and uh, if it were just implemented again, we uh, would help solve the crisis today. A, a big issue facing rural New Brunswick right now, or I, I think it's an issue, is the amalgamation of hundreds of LSDs and communities across the province. What do you think about the, the conservatives playing on amalgamation and amalgamating so many of these small rural communities? Well, a couple of things. Um, the starting point for, for, for myself and us as, as we as Greens is that Everyone should have um, a system of, of local governance. Everyone should be part of a local local democracy that they can have a say in in terms of uh, uh, the direction that their community t- takes. Um, so, so, uh, so, I, we support the idea that everyone should be part of some kind of uh, rural municipality, of mm-hmm. a rural community. Um, I think there's two things here. One is uh, rural communities should have given, been given more time uh-huh. to propose the kind of uh, municipality they wanted to bring about, um, rather than having it kind of done well done for them, uh-huh. or, or in a few cases uh, they allowed uh, the eleventh hour some proposals to come in, but you know, it was a matter of weeks, wasn't enough time. Because when you look at the difference between those rural communities that have been working on trying to bring about a local municipality for years before this, um, and how well prepared they were, and how much support there was uh, when this came about, compared to those that had done no work and hadn't thought about it in the past, um, it's like night and day. Mm-hmm. So, so, so that was rushed. Secondly, the implementation uh, of the whole system has been less than democratic. Um, under the guise of bringing local democracy to everyone in New Brunswick, the implementation has proceeded very quickly, top down uh, by the uh, Department of uh, Local Governance Reform and its minister, um, and a lot of decisions were made before the new uh, mayors and councils were even elected for these new municipal mm-hmm. rural municipalities. Uh-huh. I agree. Uh, I uh, I'm from a community that is getting amalgamated and there is a lot of I'm going to say distrust of the government over the issue well the other piece to this that people haven't become quite attuned to yet is it goes beyond uh, the creation of local um, local democratic institutions uh, what they've also the government has also done is totally reform the system of regional service commission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those regional service commissions are going to—they're basically going to be downloading quite a few responsibilities from the province to the regional service commissions. Uh, and I am very concerned that uh, one, there'll be things downloaded that are actually in the province's responsibility and not something that should be dealt with locally. Mm-hmm. Two, that those things that are are being taken over locally won't be funded properly, and that we will see the erosion of our 
our system of equal opportunity so that that uh, the kinds of services that will be provided will end up uh, being better or poorer depending on the local tax base. Oh, I I 100% I, I 100% agree. I heard from a current councillor that like well, not current councillor, but some of my for council that the the roads is going to be it's going to become an issue of the municipality and not the province. How do like how do they expect these small communities with not many people to pay for the upkeep and implement, implementation of new roads in their communities? I think right. It's, so that's going to be a, a huge huge issue. Um, and and related to this is the ability for those municipalities to generate revenue uh-huh. is is uh, is limited. Um, the the province uh, needs to transfer um, more of the property tax space to uh, the yep. municipalities uh, so that they have a larger share of, of the municipal um, tax revenue than uh, than currently is the case because the province takes quite a lot of it and uh, that would enable of course local municipalities to better fulfill their responsibilities to their citizens but the roads issue is going to be huge uh, and that's why they left it till later uh, to be dealt with and uh, one could say we've got to do something about our roads because they've been badly neglected in so many parts of the province <laughs> yep. unless it's one of the Trans-Canada, the Trans-Canada Highway or something but but uh, so something has to dramatically change there, um, and that discussion isn't even happening. And simply downloading the roads is uh, is, is no solution. It's it's really not. Uh, the the Higgs government at the throne speech, which was I think a few weeks ago, talked about re- restarting fracking in the province. What do you think about the government's I plan to start fracking again in New Brunswick? Well, I think they not paying attention, got their heads in the sand. We are in the midst of a climate crisis. Uh, we're rapidly accelerating towards a climate calamity mm-hmm. where uh, where our, much of our world is going to become inhospitable uh, and uh, that is going to have serious implications for food supply, uh, for one thing. And uh, every, at this point, every extra ton of a uh, new ton of carbon dioxide going to the atmosphere uh, is is a problem um, so so as the International Energy Agency has said uh, as the United Nations Environmental Program has said as the Secretary General of the UN has said we can't be investment in new uh, fossil fuel development mm-hmm. to add more uh, fossil fuels into the mix because uh, we are, are facing calamity. I think climate hell is what the Secretary General used to describe it. Uh, that's, that's a strong word, but it's, it's the right phrase for what we are facing down. Clim- uh, speaking, uh, going back on climate change, it is, it is a real threat to New Brunswick, the whole province, but especially the rural communities from the Bay of Funday to the Westagouche Bay up north. With a, a big example being Hurricane Fiona, which hit the eastern part of the province and left widespread damage, what does the province and the federal government need to do to mitigate the effects of climate change and to try and prevent what the Secretary General calls climate hell? Well, two things. We have a responsibility to, to rapidly make a, an energy transition to, from the non-renewable energy sources to renewable energy sources. Uh, wind, solar, um, biogas, uh, tidal, run of the river, hydro, and uh, and storage, um, along with uh, reducing our overall uh, demand for like for energy. Uh, so so that's key. On the other side of it, uh, we urgently need action to uh, better protect uh, Brunswick communities and our infrastructure from the the consequences of of the climate crisis like Fiona. Uh, there are now increasing numbers of examples of homes that are about to teeter into either mm-hmm. the Bay of Chaleur, uh, or uh, I, I visited a home on the Little Keswick River that's uh, about to tip and in, dump into the Keswick River as well, uh, near Keswick Ridge, um, because of the tremendous erosion mm-hmm. problems that have been brought, brought, about, brought about as a result of uh, our rapidly heating planet. So. Um, 
we haven't. Uh, I mean, this is this is a terrible failure. I'm afraid to say that that the government hasn't even done a climate risk assessment for New Brunswick yet. So they haven't even carried out the assessment that would identify what areas are at the greatest risk uh, from what particular threats uh, to enable them to take priority action to help uh, protect those communities and that infrastructure against those threats. Uh, so <laughs> we're, we're lagging behind very far mm-hmm. that risk assessment is not going to be done until 2024 Oof. and then it won't be implemented until 2028 uh, so that's why the other day in question period I asked the minister if he would fast track the risk assessment and have it done by next year and implement it and uh, he basically didn't answer the question but uh, that's that we're, be, we're behind the eight ball we need to catch up and so that we can't be taking our sweet time uh, about these kinds of things uh, we have the resources and the expertise in our universities, both at the University of New Brunswick, University of Moncton, uh, to help predict the areas that are, are at highest risk, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the particular uh, threats they're facing. And, and, and that would enable the government to start putting in place things like coastal defenses uh, against, against storm surges and rising sea levels to protect uh, homes and infrastructure. And, uh, that's exactly where we should have started that decades ago. Yeah, I I'm from a small will small coastal community, and the like the the tides are getting more rough, and the storms are getting rougher, and the the fishing industry is getting decimated by rising ocean temperatures, and it's just it's an all well, around. You look at places like Graham and Ann, the main main road going down the spine of Graham and Ann to uh, linking the villages is uh, being undermined yeah. uh, terribly by erosion. And uh, so th- that's just one of, of an increasing number of examples all over the province that uh, that are in serious trouble because of the consequences of the, the heating planet. So, um, the, like I said, there's been such a, a lack of urgency to take any action for a long time, and that this includes not just the Hicks government, but the Brian Gallant government, Absolutely. Um, the last time anyone was took this ur- earnestly, ur- urgently, was Bernard Lord. That's he been that's premier. been twenty years ago. A long time ago, and uh, but uh, but uh, we, no no sense of urgency has been attached to it since. I want to talk about minimum wage. I saw a recent. I want to call it a study that. The minimum wage in the New Brunswick's three largest cities is not enough to live on. The minimum wage in New Brunswick is not a living wage. What What are your thoughts on increasing the minimum wage so that it becomes a livable wage and so people can live off of working minimum wage job? Well, first, I think it's important for your listeners to know that the government, uh, that a mem- member of cabinet the other day in the question period said, it was, I think it was the Minister of Finance, that it's, <laughs> it's not their goal to ensure that people have a living wage in New Brunswick. Really? Outright. Ooh. So, one, you have to set that as a goal to have a yeah. living wage. Um, and then, two, how do you pursue, uh, pursue that well or implement it? Uh, and we, as Greens, we would do a couple of things. One is to institute uh, a basic livable income, guaranteed livable income uh, for those who need it. And uh, that would ensure that people have a livable income uh, who uh, are unable to work or work adequately mm-hmm. to, uh, to meet their needs. That's one. Two, uh, yes, we would increase the uh, minimum wage uh, with the goal of, of turning it into a livable wage instead of, instead of being sort of a, a floor. Uh, it needs to be, uh, be something that's livable, so not minimum, but livable. So we change the name to make it a livable uh, wage. So, so uh, those are some two, two, two key things that, uh, that we want to see done. Uh, and uh, that's, that's um, you know, it's years ago, I think we wanted, we said it should go to $15 an hour, and it's still not there yet. It's, it's still a few dollars off 15 an hour, which it, it, need, it should be at least 15 but it should be a lot higher so people can live off of it. Well, that's what I said. I mean, a few, a few years ago, I think, what, election 20... 18, I think we said $15, so four years ago, uh, now a livable wage is up, up around 20, so it needs to head in that direction. 
what what we would say in the transition is there needs to be uh, there needs to be support for small businesses mm-hmm. uh, to help them manage a, a, a shift in, in the amount of uh, wage they're paying to their staff uh, because their whole business has been built up around paying uh, uh, those who, who whose businesses are built on minimum wage they were designed to to, to operate with minimum wage so uh, there needs to be some uh, assistance financial assistance to help make that transition uh, that would then be gradually uh, wound down that um, is not fair that people that, that any businesses are being subsidized on the backs of uh, a minimum wage that people are being are earning um, if there's a need to subsidize the business uh, in the short term then uh, that should be done from the government's perspective not from the employees perspective the the green party has made a, a breakthrough in new brunswick over the past 10 years there have been three mlas elected you uh, kevin arsenal and megan min what is what like what is the future of the Green Party in New Brunswick? Like, how do you plan to keep what you have and to get and to win more seats and to win more votes? Hard work. I mean, we're we're growing. We're growing across the province. Uh-huh. Um, we had in the last election. I think it was uh, uh, our candidates placed second place in fifteen uh, ridings, in addition to the three ridings that uh, the Green candidates won. Uh, so, you know, that's unprecedented uh, in New Brunswick political history. Yeah, so uh, we got to turn those second place uh, finishes into uh, seats and, uh, and continue to build from there. Uh, so that's, that's our goal. Uh, as we grow, we have more money to work with, more mm-hmm. donations. That means you can afford to do the kind of communications that's necessary to, to reach everybody uh, effectively. And, uh, and obviously that's, that's key. Uh, so we're focused on that as well, uh, so that that everywhere in the province you go, people know us uh, as well as say they do in in Fredericton, where you know I've been the Green MLA for for eight years now. So uh, the people of Fredericton are, are, are well familiar with uh, with uh, how I work and, mm-hmm. and what uh, what as a Green I stand for. Is there any parts of New Brunswick that the Green Party will try and? Like pour more money into, or is it just a broad strategy of invest everywhere? No, of course, uh, where where our candidates uh, finished in second place um, around the province, uh, those those obviously are going to be priority mm-hmm. uh, ridings for us, uh, and and then after that, um, we'll have additional priority ridings based on uh, the strength of local candidates. Uh, but it'll be strategically planned and, and uh, tactically executed. Uh-huh. Susan Holt announced, I, I believe it was last week, where, that she is going to run in Bathurst East in the next by-election. Right. Do, do the Greens plan on running a candidate against her? Yeah, we, okay. we believe that people should have the uh-huh. opportunity to vote Green uh, no matter who's running. I like I, li- I like that uh, no one should really have a free pass into the legislature. No, absolutely not. You need to earn your way in, mm-hmm. and uh, and people should have the opportunity to vote for their uh, vote their principles and vote their values. Uh, I want to talk about the electoral system in first past the post. There's been a lot of criticism of first past the post recently, especially after the elections in Ontario and Quebec. What are your thoughts on first past the post, and should we in New Brunswick and in Canada change the electoral system to something more representative? In well, yeah, I mean, a, a, a mixed member proportional representation system really is the way to go. Uh, it's it's probably the most common system that exists in, in the world in uh, in, the, in democracies. Uh, Canada and New Brunswick really are outliers mm-hmm. in the way that we still have first past the post. It's just that the jurisdictions we're most familiar with, the UK, the UK and the United States, also still have first past mm-hmm. the post systems, but hardly anyone else does uh, anymore. So, um, you know, we saw how the minority government was working, where there was lots of collaboration, we got lots of things done there that wouldn't have happened in a majority government. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a proportional representation system would ensure that. Uh, that that happens as a matter of routine without the risk of, um, you know, constantly having to go to an election after a year or two. 
So uh, it would be it's extremely beneficial. It's been part of our platform uh, since 2010, and um, uh, that we implement a proportional representation system. It was recommended uh, by the, uh, the major inquiry into the health of our democracy that Bernard Lord initiated when he was premier, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it was one of their key recommendations that this be uh, adopted. Uh, unfortunately, the government changed, the Liberals took over, and they had no interest in it, so it, it was abandoned. Um, but even when, uh, uh, yeah, so so that's, that's, it's interesting to note that the most comprehensive book written on electoral and democratic reform in Canada is a, is a book that was written about that whole inquiry into uh, the state of our democracy in New Brunswick uh, during the years that Bernard Lord was Premier. My next question, it's a broad question. If the Greens were to form government or form a strong minority coalition with the Liberals, what are your pol- what are your first policies and what do you want to work on immediately? Oh my goodness. It's uh, unfortunately there's going to have to be multiple priorities at the, right from the get-go uh-huh. because because uh, it, it's, it's like I said the other day, it seems it feels a little bit like wherever you look things are broken. Yeah. So, um, so in the short term, immediately we've got to take care of of, uh, of people's care. Uh, we've got to we've got to uh, tackle uh, health care uh, so that people have access to health care services of the kind they need when they need it. And uh, so that would be right up at the very top, along with uh, better care for our seniors, mm-hmm. um, for the seniors of the province. That that there needs to be considerable attention paid to that, especially given the explosion in the number of uh, uh, people in, in that demographic. Uh, the needs are going to increase exponentially over the next couple of decades, yep. and uh, we are really behind the eight ball on that. So, so that would be second. I would, uh, a second one, and a, and a third one certainly would be addressing the climate crisis. So, only the Greens would be the spearhead of, uh, of uh, an energy transition to renewables in New Brunswick. We know that. Mm-hmm. No other party has that as a priority. And, and we would spearhead that uh, along with uh, putting in place the kinds of um, defenses we need. And those defenses against climate change go beyond uh, things like physical barriers for to, to provide coastal defense to things like ensuring that we can feed ourselves in New Brunswick, uh, uh, or at least in the region of the Maritimes, in the face of what's expected in the future, where where the supply chains for food are going to are going to diminish mm-hmm. as, uh, as climate change uh, causes uh, droughts and, and, and other big problems with uh, food production in other parts of the world that we currently import from, uh, so so that's uh, a key part of the defense is to ensure we have a local food system that can supply can food working in, in cooperation with uh, New Brunswick or PEI in Nova Scotia that we can feed. We can feed ourselves largely from local sources, so that's a, a, a key, a key piece. And then, and then, as I mentioned, in terms of poverty and, and income, uh, we need to put in place a basic livable uh, income guarantee uh, and set set a, a goal and work to achieve the livable wage. Last month, Dominic Carty resigned from the Higgs cabinet in what I call a scathing letter of resignation. Do you have any thoughts or opinions on the letter and the way Mr. Carity left the caucus? Um, well, I mean, in terms of him leaving, leaving the cabinet, um, it's interesting. I thought he was going to be transferred. I thought all the signs pointed to him being shuffled into another uh-huh. portfolio. Uh, so I wasn't expecting what happened. And, you know, the premier says he fired him and, and Dominic Carty says he quit. Well, I think it was one of those situations of you can't fire me, I quit yeah. <laughs> um, circumstances. Um, but so that's, you know, that's, that's not unusual in, in Canadian politics. But uh, what was unusual, probably unprecedented, was the, the, the ferocity of the uh, one making his letter of resignation um, public and mm-hmm. two, the ferocity that it, uh, it, that it contained and the sort of ferocious nature of it. I mean, he threw the premier under the bus and backed up a couple times. So why did he do that? What were his objectives? Um, 
and it would be interesting to ask him that. Uh, those are rhetorical questions, but uh, I don't know what his ultimate aim is and where he intends to go, but, uh, but certainly it was uh, astonishing um, in, in terms of the letter, not astonishing that he quit or that he was fired from cabinet, but, uh, but astonishing that he, one, released his letter, and two, that it was, uh, it was as, uh, as vicious as it was. Yeah, I agree. I, I I never expected the for the the letter to be so scathing of the premier. And something that came up in the letter was the prem uh, yeah the premier wants to get I I don't want to say get rid but get rid of French immersion in New Brunswick and reform it into something that is less workable. What do you think about his decision to reform? French immersion well, in schools. So that's interesting because the very first time I sat down with Blaine Higgs was when he got elected leader of the Conserv- Progressive Conservative Party. He was still in opposition, in an opposition uh, uh, MLA at the time. Uh-huh. And he wanted to get together and talk about sort of priorities. And uh, so I met with him, and and uh, that was when I was still the lone green in the legislature. Yeah. And he said... Uh, this is when Brian Gallant was premier. And he said his only priority was to get rid of French immersion. That's what he wanted to talk about. That's a that's a priority and a half. My God. So, so I was, I was, uh, I found that extraordinary. I couldn't, with all of the challenges that New Brunswick was facing, uh, economically, socially, economically, ecologically, you just, that's your priority? I, I said, I remember saying to him, well, I mean, there's improvements can be made to French immersion, no, no question, and there's mm-hmm. definitely improvements that are needed for the core French program. But you know, what is so? So uh, this really seems to be a personal obsession on the part of the premier uh, to get rid of. Uh, that's why I tell that story to get rid of uh, French immersion yeah. for his own personal reasons, and uh, and it, it defies logic. Um, like I said to him way back then. We, we should, when it comes to language training in the English school system, we need to improve immersion, make it more uh, embedded in the, in the Acadian culture, mm-hmm. in, a, in the Brunswick uh, Francophone culture, um, and, uh, and then uh, at the same time improve the uh, core French program, which was, that was not helping anybody. Uh, I mean, th- that to me, the big problem lay in the fact the core French program was was failing to achieve anything. Anyone who went through the core French program pretty much didn't have the confidence to use any kind of French in any way at any time when they graduated. So, so, uh, so that does need to be fixed. Uh, but you don't need to, to 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 link the two. You don't need to say, well, we're going to fix the core core French program and and to destroy the French immersion program. Mm-hmm. They both can uh, inhabit the same school. Uh, at the same time, and uh, that way, people who uh, want to uh, go in through their schooling school years uh, graduate in a way where they're they're actually are very bilingual and, and have good skills and written French, oral French, and reading, um, and, and that's the immersion route. And then uh, and then for everyone else, yeah, you need. You need you need a better core program that mm-hmm. is going to allow you to feel the confidence necessary to have basic conversations in French. That that's what that should be aiming for, and hopefully to engender uh, an interest in the in the French language so that you go on afterwards to try and improve uh, improve it. But but that's that's the way I think about it. Well, I I uh, when I saw that the premier wants to reform French immersion or frankly destroy, I was not surprised because he was affiliated with the Confederations of Regions in the 90s and well, they were a very anti-bilingual party at well, the time. So, so no one should be laboring under any illusion. Uh, come next September, the door will slam shut on any student who is entering the school system who wants to go into French immersion. The door will be locked. There will be no way to enter French immersion in September. Um, for those people, students already in the French immersion program, uh, they will continue through uh, until they graduate. But no new students to the school system will be enabled. So you will have family members where somebody's 
sister is in French immersion, and their brother is starting school in September, mm-hmm. and he won't be able to enter French immersion. Which I, I think is such a, a stupid idea, but I regress here. Um, over the weekend, Elizabeth May won the leadership race for the Federal Green Party. This will be the second time that Miss May will be leader after she resigned following the 2019 election. Do you have any thoughts on Elizabeth May, and do you have any intention on running federally one day? Uh, no, I have no intention of <laughs> running federally. I'm I'm too passionate about our province okay. and uh, wanting to help make uh, positive changes to the well-being of New Brunswickers and to the our, the, the, the viability of our communities and the, the health of our environment. So, uh, but as far as uh, the federal leadership goes, well, you know, I, I it's. Uh, she won the she won the leadership convention. She garnered the most votes, and so uh, the federal party members need to unite um, mm-hmm. behind her and and uh, her running mate. Um, I hope that uh, the party does uh, that. That party does uh, decide to make the changes that she, that she ran on, which is to permit not just her, but uh, Anna Keenan did too to permit uh, the, the idea of a co-leadership mm-hmm. uh, like, like exists with Quebec Solidaire in, uh, in Quebec uh, or with the Greens in Germany and that uh, that happened fairly quickly. Um, I hope uh, uh, she chooses um, her other deputy deputy leader uh, wisely um, and uh, I certainly would love to see Anna Keenan uh, be the other deputy leader. I think mm-hmm. it's important after a leadership convention to bring together all those who contested the leadership uh, and ensure that they are fully engaged uh, and appreciated. I, I, you answered my next question, which was, do you plan on running for re-election in 2024? Absolutely. Uh, I, I will lead our party uh, into the 2024 election with the intent of uh, getting far more green seats. We can't afford a majority government of any sort, mm-hmm. uh, whether red or blue, and uh, only the Greens can prevent that from happening, and only the Greens can be in a position to uh, to uh, support a, uh, a progressive uh, minority government. Uh, my next question is, you've been in elected politics for eight years now. What advice do you have for people who want to run for elected office? Well, I guess you have to, first of all, ask yourself why you want to okay. do that. Yeah. And if it's not about service uh, to the citizens of this province and to the future of our province, um, then then you need to think twice about it. Uh, that's number one. Uh, just reflect on your motivation. Mm-hmm. Uh, two... Uh, don't get too excited about doing it too early. It's really important to get some uh, uh, some life experience, some work experience, um, and and uh, and then um, once once you've kind of done that, uh, then think about uh, whether you want to make that kind of um, contribution in public service. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other flip side of that is. Uh, is, is don't take it on as a retirement project um, after you're 65. It does not seem like a fun retirement uh, project. Well, <laughs> I, you know, I, I shouldn't be so glib. I, <laughs> certainly people can make a, make a, uh, a real contribution and may, may uh, have a real passion for, for contributing to positive change uh, at the end of their career. Uh, but... Um, but uh, it, it shouldn't be seen as a uh, as a, a way to pass your time <laughs> in retirement. Well, that's all the questions I have. Do you have anything you you would like to say to the people listening? Politics matter. It's how we make decisions in a civilized society through a democratic process. Democracy matters. Mm-hmm. Alienation is um, is a uh, is a cancer on the body politic mm-hmm. in a democracy, and uh, if you're feeling alienated, 
um, you've got to take a look at, I think it's important to take a look at why and, and, and look at what the various parties have to offer and see whether there's uh, one that you can uh, uh, get behind. Uh, so democracy is not just about voting. You know, democracy is something we should be practicing every day as citizens. Um, and, uh, and our democracy is, is based on and a healthy and effective democracy is based on uh, taking that uh, responsibility of citizenship uh, seriously um, and speaking up and standing up and demonstrating uh, uh, around issues that uh, you feel passionate about or you feel um, represent, you know, real matters of justice that need to be addressed. Uh, so so that, that's what my message really is, uh, is don't drop out, uh, get engaged, mm-hmm. and think about it this way. There's parliamentary politics, and there's extra parliamentary politics. Extra parliamentary politics are all those civil society organizations, um, campus groups, mm-hmm. Uh, who are trying to, uh, who have organized to try and make a positive change uh, to to help change public policy uh, as citizens. And uh, the most effective way as citizens to change public policy for the better, to have a positive influence on elected representatives, on premiers and cabinets, is to be organized um, around whatever issue or set of issues that you're passionate about. And uh, that can be campus organizations. That's how I started um, wor- working with uh, uh, Greenpeace, helping to found Greenpeace McGill mm-hmm. years ago, and then Greenpeace Montreal, um, w- which ended me up working, ended up having me work in the environmental movement for a good number of years. Um, but uh, uh, so I think it's important to think about our democracy that way, that it's not just the purview, or only in the purview of politicians and elected representatives, but it's responsibility. Everyone is everyone is a citizen, and something you can be actively engaged in, obviously by writing letters and meeting with your MLA and that sort mm-hmm. of thing, but even more directly engaged with by by joining or creating uh, a civil society organization, a non-profit um, a community group uh, or campus group that uh, can, can uh, um, cast a light on on issues that are important and propose solutions and campaign for them to be implemented. Well, David, uh, thank you for taking time out of your day to sit down with me and have this great interview. We talked about so much that's affecting the province. And you had My pleasure. Great insight really in it. You, Logan. Okay, thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye now.